What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another lesson, another episode in the 10 Lessons Podcast. I hope you had a very blessed week. I hope everything's been going great with you. Uh, I just want to really quick, before we get into this lesson, I wanted to say thank you for the feedback on the last uh, episode. The feedback was was really good, and I, I got a lot of interesting feedback, and a lot of, like, I, I heard a lot of good stuff from that episode, so I just want to thank you guys and uh, reiterate, reiterate, because I've already mentioned this in the introduction, but if you have feedback for me, whether it's positive, negative, somewhere in the middle, or if I just say, like, some idea that you want to discuss with me, I'd be more than happy to do that, so please just reach out to me. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss anything that you want to talk about, anything that I've, I've said on the podcast. I'm more than happy to discuss it. If you disagree with anything, if something really hit you, uh, anything like that, I would be more than happy to discuss that. So we are on to lesson number eight. Everybody thinks they're going to be rich. Everybody. Now, I'm going to start this episode off with a bit of a confession, okay? It's not everybody. Not everybody thinks they're going to be rich. I just use a sexy title. But it actually is everybody has these cognitive biases in our brain that make us over-optimistic and have excessive self-regard. And I'm going to talk about that later. There are real people that exist that even when you objectively review their life, and if you were to objectively see everything that they got going on in their life, you would be like, there's no way they're going to get rich. There are people like that that genuinely believe they will be extremely rich one day, somehow, some way, abracadabra, they're going to be rich. You probably know somebody like this, okay? There's somebody that, there's people that, like, they have no job, they have no experience, they smoke weed all day, they play Xbox all day, they go out partying, they do everything that, like, they can, supposedly, to waste their time and, you know, just do nothing. But on top of all that, they have the audacity to talk about how they're going to be super rich one day. I actually, I used to know somebody like this a long time ago. Uh, they used to tell me all about how they're going to have these private jets, these Lambos, these mansions. Everybody's going to respect them. But you're listening to them talk and you see what their life is like. And you're just thinking like, how? How is that possibly going to happen with what you do right now? How is it ever going to lead to these great riches and this great wealth? So uh, let me be clear, because I used a, a very specific example. It's okay to not have a job, okay? And it's okay to have no experience in the field you want to enter, especially if you're young. If you smoke weed, I, I really can't speak much on that, but cool. Do what you do. Live your life. If you play Xbox, that's cool, too. I love, I love playing Xbox. If you go out partying, you're young. Go and live your life. But when you combine all of these things into one, and on top of all that, you have these grand ambitions of becoming mega rich, it's pretty clear that you're delusional. Gary Vee has a very great quote where he says, your action should match your ambition. Uh, I, I don't remember specifically what video that came from, but I remember that that was a quote that hit me hard. And I was like, wow, that's, that's very profound. And Gary Vee is an incredible entrepreneur that if, if you sort of have ambitions in the entrepreneurial field, he's a very great one to study. Let me be super clear. Again, there is no problem with that lifestyle. Even if you live a sort of like Epicurean type of life where you optimize for the moment, you have no job, no experience, you play Xbox, you smoke weed, you party, you do all this type of stuff. There's seriously nothing wrong with that. Okay, I'm not trying to dump on that lifestyle. Not at all. And if you want to be the next billionaire, the next Bill Jobs, the next, <laughs> I said Bill Jobs, the next Steve Jobs, the next Bill Gates, the next Elon Musk, there's totally nothing wrong with that either, okay? I respect it. 
but these two things are mutually exclusive. Okay, that's something you have to understand. Just it's just the reality of the modern world, not the modern world, just the reality of ever. Uh, <laughs> Bill Gates. So I was I just mentioned Bill Gates. Bill Gates, who founded Microsoft, so he's obviously a very well respected entrepreneur, and he was the richest man in the world for many many years. He said from age twenty to age thirty, and just because I know the people that listen to this podcast, that's a lot of us. From age 20 to age 30, he never took a single day off, not even one, okay? He wasn't like these people that are going around partying, messing around, and talking about how they're going to be rich. He was just so locked in on doing what he was doing, building Microsoft, and everything else that he had going on at that time, to ever, you know, talk about it and boast about how he's going to be rich. He just did it, and that's the, that's the billionaire ambition. If you want to be a billionaire, you're going to have to do some insane stuff and make some insane sacrifices, particularly uh, usually young in your life, to actually make that happen. So let's talk a little bit about why this happens. Why is it even possible for somebody to actually believe passionately and with such conviction that they're going to be mega rich when their real life, when you just analyze their life, it shows something completely different. It shows that there's no possibility. What is it about us humans in our brains that makes it so that we could even possibly delude ourselves that extremely? So the reason this happens is because of a cognitive bias in the brain, uh, and it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And this basically, the effect, you could just look this up. It's a cognitive bias in our brain. The basic idea is that people believe they are smarter and more capable than they actually are. That's the easiest way to summarize it. And the way that this effect actually was discovered is incredibly, incredibly funny. The, the story is really funny, so I want to share it with you. So on April 19th, 1995, this guy, MacArthur Wheeler, robbed two banks with absolute certainty he would not be caught. Okay, He was so certain, in fact, that when the security cameras uh, looked at him, or, or just when he was looking at the security camera, he was, he was on camera robbing the bank. He looked directly into the camera and smiled before he left the bank with all the cash. That's just how confident he was that he was not going to get caught. Okay, and why was he so why was he so confident? His secret was that he put lemon juice all over his face and he believed that this lemon juice would render him invisible to these security cameras. And the reason why I thought that was because lemon juice works as invisible ink on a piece of paper. So we thought that if you if I put it on my face, I'm gonna be invisible. And, uh, of course, that's not exactly how the story ended. Just after midnight uh, later that day, he was arrested to his absolute shock. And he had this very uh, famous quote right after. He, after he was arrested, he famously exclaimed, but I wore the juice. <laughs> so, basically, after, after this happened, two psychologists came along by the names of David Dunning and Justin Kruger. And this is where the Dunning-Kruger effect, the name, comes from, from these two psychologists. And they study Wheeler and others like him. And basically what they came to the conclusion uh, is that people with low abilities to do a task tend to paradoxically vastly overestimate themselves and their abilities. Now, when I heard about this effect, it like I, I've learned from a lot of mentors over the years that this is sort of like a phenomenon with intellectual people, like very smart people, real, like actual smart people very rarely are like full of confidence and are boastful and sort of like display their their intelligence. Uh, so to give two examples, Bertrand Russell has a quote where he says, the problem with the world is that intelligent people are full of doubts while the stupid ones are full of confidence. And I really like that quote. That's a great quote. 
And uh, Socrates also has a very similar quote. And I'm a, I'm a big, you know, personally, I'm really big on philosophy. I like philosophy. Socrates is sort of like a, um, I'm, I'm not going to say that, but like I, I really, I have a lot of respect for Socrates. Put it that way. He, he has this quote where he says, I know that I am intelligent because I know that I know nothing. So it's sort of like a paradox, right? It's like you're intelligent, but you realize, you're so intelligent that you realize, dang, there's so much to know. I don't really know anything. And the, the Dunning-Kruger effect has like a specific graph that goes along with it. You could look it up if you want, but basically you could also just imagine your mind. Imagine the letter U. So think of like a graph with the letter U uh, plotted on the graph with the x-axis uh, on the left being uh, confidence, like how confident you are in your ability to do this task and the competence, like how, how good you are actually, you know, how good you actually are at that task is on the y-axis on the bottom. You start out really confident in your abilities when you know nothing when your competence and your ability to do the task is the lowest you start off extremely high and then once you actually start to get a little better you realize dang i don't really know anything and then it drops down to like the bottom of the u uh, and then it swings back up once you actually become really good at it so this is a funny story right like we could all laugh at wheeler and be like haha like i, I don't even know how it's possible to be that foolish and obviously the vast majority of us are not quite as foolish, but whether or not we realize it, we suffer from the same cognitive bias. I guarantee you, you and me, we both suffer from this bias on occasion. The effect that the bias had on Wheeler is the exception, not the rule, okay? The cognitive bias being like extremely extreme, it, it, like for a lack of a better word, like for someone to really believe lemon juice will make you invisible, that's an extreme example. But much more often, the Dunning-Kruger effect expresses itself in us as an underlying subconscious belief that things are going to work out simply by fate. This belief that regardless of what we've experienced so far in our life, regardless of how much work we've put into doing what we want to do so far in our life, that somehow, some way, at some point in the future, things are just going to work out. Somehow we're going to get rich. Somehow we're going to be able to maintain our health. Somehow we're just going to stumble across the love of our life. Things like that. Somehow we're eventually just going to be happy. Things are just going to sort of work out somehow, and we don't really know how. We just sort of assume it. That's the Dunning-Kruger effect in action. And this is the real principle I'm trying to get at here. Okay, A lot of us, myself included, fall victim to believing that things are just going to work out. Uh, and we have overconfidence, or really unfounded confidence, uh, that these things are just going to work out simply by fate. And this is extremely dangerous to all of our dreams because... If we just believe that things are going to work out, it doesn't inspire action. In fact, it inspires the complete opposite, which is just, you know, us, you know, being sedentary, not doing anything. And that's extremely dangerous because we have no sense of urgency to actually put some feet to what we want to be doing with our lives. So there are a couple other biases that play into creating this effect as well. There's multiple biases on our brains that's actually creating this. It's not just one, which makes it even more powerful and more likely for us to be susceptible to it. One of my biggest recommendations, so I, I talk about books all the time on this podcast. One of my biggest like legitimate recommendations is a book called Poor Charlie's Almanac. And it's, it's a slightly more expensive book, uh, but it's written by this guy, Charlie Munger, who is the business partner of Warren Buffett, who once was the richest man in the world, you know, billionaire investor. Charlie Munger himself is a billionaire. But what's really interesting about him is Bill Gates, who I talked about earlier, founded Microsoft from age 20 to age 30, never took a day off, not even one. 
Bill Gates is not very big on complimenting other people. You're not going to see him complimenting other people very often. But he once called Charlie Munger the most intelligent human he has ever met. And coming from Bill Gates, who's met a lot of intelligent human beings, is very profound. So Charlie Munger is a really great guy to study, and he's he's in his 90s now. He's probably going to die soon. So it's, it's really a good idea to to study his work and study what he has to say because he really is a very, very smart guy. At the end of his book, Poor Charlie's Almanac, he has a chapter called The Psychology of Human Misjudgment. And basically, he talks about these 25 cognitive biases that we all have in our brains that cause us to make mistakes. I talked about in the last podcast episode how a lot of times our brains betray us because of evolutionary mismatches, right? Our brain thinks that we need sugar, uh, when in reality we don't, not in the modern world. There are way more cognitive biases than just that one that I talked about in the last podcast episode. That was really just one. There's way more. There's even more than 25, but Charlie Munger talks about 25. He's observed. And I want to just really quickly uh, talk to you about some of them. So the first cognitive bias he talks about is the reward and punishment tendency. Which is basically, uh, uh, you know, it's a very simple one. Humans move towards pleasure and away from pain. Basically, every single human action can be explained by this. This is why we, for example, uh, I don't know, we like sex and we hate homework. Okay, it's very simple because sex is pleasurable and homework sucks. So it, it's very easy to see why we might procrastinate on homework. And really anything that you procrastinate on, all you're doing is you're moving away from pain. You're falling you're being susceptible to this reward and punishment tendency, this reward and punishment uh, human bias in our brain. There is the liking and loving tendency, and uh, sort of like the flip side of that, like the other side of the moon, so to say, is the disliking and hating tendency. These are the, the next, these are the uh, number two and three on the list. Uh, all this basically means, so the liking and loving tendency, we ignore the faults and flaws of people or products if we like or love them. And the disliking or hating tendency is we tend to ignore the virtues and positive aspects of the people we dislike. And there's also the commitment consistency bias, which just basically just means once we say something, we have this, this incessant need to just stick with it and not admit that we were wrong. And it's a very silly bias, but we see it all the time. When you think about these tendencies, these three, one of the most profound applications I think of these bias is uh, politics. Because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really a huge political person uh, myself, and I definitely don't want to talk about politics much on this podcast. But I'm telling you, politics just makes so much more sense once you understand these cognitive biases. Okay? So the liking and loving tendency. Let's just say, hypothetically, you are a Republican. Okay? The liking and loving tendency would be like, I'm going to ignore everything bad about Donald Trump, all his personality flaws, all the bad things he's done during his presidency. I'm going to ignore all of that, and I'm going to accentuate all the good he's done. And then once, you know, 2020, once Joe Biden becomes president, I'm going to just completely – so this is now transitioning to the uh, disliking and hating tendency. I'm going to completely ignore everything that Joe Biden uh, has done well, and I'm going to completely elevate and almost like how you have like – there's like a tab on your computer, and you could just stretch it to make it a lot bigger – Anything bad that he's done, I'm going to make it like gargantuan in size, and I'm going to hyperfixate on that specifically and just ignore all the good he's done. And you could use the same example if you're a Democrat, okay? It would just be the opposite. You accentuate and you hyperfixate on all the things Trump has done badly, and you completely ignore all the bad things Biden has done. 
politics and the way people debate politics makes much more sense once you understand that these tendencies and these cognitive biases are playing into people's brains. And also, if people say something like, I don't know, just any, think of any political opinion where someone could say something and then they're obviously proven wrong later. They have a very hard time. Human beings have an extremely hard time just admitting we were wrong. That's called the commitment consistency bias. We have a very hard time admitting, you know what? We were wrong. We made, the, uh, we made a lapse in judgment. We did something that was wrong. You know, forgive me. Very, very rarely that ever happens, not just in politics, but just in life. There's so many others I could talk about. Uh, there's the influence by mere association tendency. That basically means that we're easily motivated by mere association. Okay, so this is just like, you know, if we wear Jordans, we think we'll play like MJ. Or if we drink Coke, we'll be happy and healthy. Because the commercials, if, you, if you've seen the Coca-Cola commercial, it shows like people running around, children. They're drinking Coke. They're having fun. They're, you know, they're partying. All this stuff. So that's sort of like we just associate Coke with that. When in reality, if we were to associate Coke with like diabetes or general unwellness, uh, that would be much more accurate, but the bias is at work in these commercials. There's the reciprocity tendency. This is a huge one for persuasion specifically. If you ever read uh, Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion, he talks about how reciprocity is an extremely huge uh, like cognitive effect uh, on persuasion. Like If someone does something for us, I, I believe he used an example in the book, there was like this group of um, churchgoers that were trying to raise money for their church. I might be completely butchering this this story because I, I didn't I didn't actually go and look it up, but I'll, I'll just tell you the general gist of it. I think it was these churchgoers who were trying to raise money for their church. They found that if they got like a like a bunch of flowers, right, and they were just looking to hand flowers out to people. And then the people take the flower because if someone goes to hand you a flower, you're probably going to be like, oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that flower. And then they ask, could you please make a donation to our church, please? You're much more like like the statistics are not even close. If you are randomly approached and just ask, could you please you know, donate money for our church? You'll probably just be like, oh, no, no, that's OK. And you just keep walking. But if you're given a flower first, that which, by the way, they I think it was another part of the study. Most people just threw out the flower. Uh, but if you're given a flower first, you this is the reciprocity tendency at work. People are more likely to give you favors in return when you've already done something for them. And this is sort of evolutionary. Um, uh, not sort of. This this is absolutely uh, another aspect of evolutionary psychology. But this is it still has profound applications on our modern day life. There's others like the twaddle tendency, which is basically just spending too much time doing nothing, uh, sucking our thumb, as Warren Buffett would call it. Uh, so like the, the person I explained earlier, doing nothing like you're playing Xbox or browsing social media. We all have these twaddle tendencies where we just kind of do nothing for a long period of time. We have the contrast misreaction tendency, uh, which explains why we buy things that we perceive are on save and when they're not. Uh, so this tendency would be like if, you know, let's say you were buying something for $50 and it just said price $50 and you didn't buy it. And then they were like, huh, okay, I'm going to instead put the price, let's put the price at 75 bucks and then cross it out and then write $50. So it looks like it's on sale. Sales go up because of this contract misreaction tendency. Even though the price didn't change at all, we see this contrast. Ooh, it used to be 75 now it's 50 even if it wasn't. We're like, okay, it's on sale. I should buy it now. It makes no sense, but it, it works. 
we have an urgency bias, which basically means that when we have a very limited amount of time to make a decision on something, we're much more prone to make mistakes. And the very last uh, cognitive bias that he talks about is this one called the Lollapalooza effect. And it basically, this one just states that when you combine these cognitive biases, when you, so for example, let's, let me just look at some of these. If you combine the mere association, mere association tendency, so somebody that you respect, let's say, I don't know, Oprah Winfrey is there with a product, right? If you, if there's, so if you have the influence of mere association tendency, you have the reciprocity tendency. Maybe they already gave you something for free. You have the contrast misreaction tendency. They may say, uh, this used to be $1,000, now it's 500 And you have the urgency bias at the very top of uh, a lot of websites. Uh, they'll have like timers. They'll be like, it, you have 10 minutes to take this deal. If you don't make this, if you don't buy it in 10 minutes, this deal is gone forever. When in reality, you could just like refresh the page or just leave and come back later. And then the 10 minute timer starts again. You have 10 minutes. Like it's, it's not really a timer. They'll, in reality, they'll take your money whenever you want to give it to them. But it creates another bias on your brain. And the Lollapalooza effect is when you combine all of these things into one. And this is what really good uh, marketers do. You combine all these cognitive biases and they create this Lollapalooza effect. And when all these biases are working together, it's almost impossible to overcome. How the, the I, I don't want to, <laughs> I'm trying to censor myself here. How the F this stuff, like these cognitive biases, no, like seriously, how these cognitive biases were not, have not found their way into school curriculum is crazy to me. Like, I don't know how, like, like there's things we don't like geometry, right? Geometry is good for like, like a couple things. Like the, like is, the majority of us are never going to really use geometry. But these cognitive biases have such a profound impact on our lives. If we just had a class that we took in high school on like these cognitive biases, that would be so much more beneficial. Like these, this stuff would literally change the world if people just knew this stuff. But I don't want to. I'm not gonna go going around. I'm not gonna get too far off topic here. So bringing everything back, okay. The two biases that I wanted to mention uh, from this list that I left out thus far is the excessive self-regard tendency and the over-optimism tendency. Okay. The excessive self-regard tendency is just very simply the tendency that we tend to overestimate ourselves. We tend to overestimate our abilities in a bunch of different things, okay? One study found that the majority of people believe that they are above average drivers, which is statistically impossible because the majority of people can't be above average. That doesn't make sense. We see the same in studies of humor, so how funny people perceive themselves to be, uh, logic and reasoning. So how logical people perceive them, themselves to be, how smart they perceive themselves to be, English grammar, uh, and these are just all confirmed studies. This is probably for way more English grammar, so how good your grammar is when you're actually like writing, and physical attractiveness. We tend to overestimate how attractive we are. Now, I would just want to say this isn't everybody, okay? There are some people that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. I've, I've met them, and it's uh, it's just as bad, okay? If you, if you, like, I've met people that are actually uh, attractive, but they don't view themselves as attractive. That's what, uh, is that one band, One Direction? That's what they were talking about, okay? That's a lot more rare in our narcissistic society, but it does exist. I just wanted to, to mention that. The other one is the over-optimism tendency, which is what I was explaining earlier, you know, what the grand picture of this podcast is. We are overly optimistic about the trajectory of our life even when we have absolutely no reason to be. This is why, going back to the example earlier, you could have someone that's just sort of sitting around, living a very relaxed life, doing nothing. 
Uh, or just like, like I said, I don't want to be judgmental. Uh, I'm not a very judgmental person. I, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying you're doing the things that obviously aren't going to lead to you being mega wealthy. And you may not want to be super rich. So that's completely cool. Like I, I respect your ability to live life the way you want. Trust me. But when you live like that and you still think you're going to be mega wealthy, that's the over-optimism tendency at work. And this is why everybody thinks you're going to be rich. So I want to uh, say that I understand this isn't exactly a feel-good podcast, okay? But I'm telling you guys this because I love you and I care about you. I don't want you to be like other people who have over-optimism and excessive self-regard. And they just sort of believe that one day things are going to work out. I don't want you to be like that, okay? And I want you to really deserve what you want uh, and, you know, get what you want by deserving it. And just to be clear, if any of you guys, because I know you, I, I personally know almost everybody listening to this podcast. If any of you guys come up to me and are like, I'm going to be rich one day, Anthony, like, I believe you, okay? I believe you. I believe you. I promise you I do. But you have to put the work in, okay? You have to train. You, it's not just going to randomly come to you one day unless you win the lottery, okay? I just don't want you to fall victim to this cognitive bias, these multiple cognitive biases working on your brain, and then you end up being really disappointed later in your life. That's why I, I think that these podcasts are, and lessons are so important. Ty Lopez has this great quote where he says, this world is littered with broken dreams of people who believed and believed and believed, but they didn't train. The main point I'm trying to get here is put the work in, okay? Let your competence be your confidence. Don't just expect the success to come to you somehow. Know that you got to put the work in and let other people be delusional, okay? This is the part I haven't even gone to yet. You shouldn't feel bad about having these biases in your brain because they're working against your competition as well. The people that you're going to be competing with, whether it's in the job market or, or if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, uh, if you're trying to, I don't know, in the dating game, anything. Other people have these biases too, and most of them don't even realize they have it. So let them have excessive self-regard and over-optimism. And meanwhile, you could be the realist who actually does what they dream of. Okay, you could still be an optimist. This, this, the point of this podcast wasn't, there are studies that say uh, pessimists make more money than optimists, but that doesn't mean that you, like, you could still be an optimist. I'm an optimist, okay? But don't be an optimist because of fate. Don't be an optimist just because you think that somehow, some way, you know, it's like you're in a Disney fairy tale, right? Things are just going to work out somehow. That's not how things. That's not how things actually happen. Be an optimist because you know that you're willing to actually put the work in to deserve the life that you want. That's all for this episode. Uh, we're really starting to move along here. This was lesson number eight. Things are really starting to move along, and I, I like how, how things are turning out. Uh, once again, please could keep up the feedback and uh, letting me know what you think. I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you guys. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Peace out.